So let's pray, you guys. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew. Guess what chapter? Chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We're making our way through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church body. Lord, thank you for the many volunteers, Lord, the, the coffee slinging. Lord, those that are upstairs with the kids right now, God, just teaching them about who Jesus is. God, filling them in and, and giving them an insight, God, of, man, who you are. God, thank you for those that are doing security and those, Lord God, that have cleaned this church faithfully, Lord, every week. Lord, all of the people, Lord, I'm just, I don't know, Lord, this morning I was just so taken aback by the fact, Lord, that, man, we could do church. You, let me rephrase that, Lord, you could do church without any of us, and yet you choose to use us. And I'm thankful, God, that we get to be used by you in this way. I'm thankful, God, that we get to come before you now, Lord God, and to just spend time worshiping your name, God. My throat already hurts, and it's only the start of the first service. God, you are so good. Lord, I pray now as we begin or continue worship, Lord God, in a different way, Lord, and we begin to dig into your word, Lord, would you open our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you crack open and, and till up the soil, get our hearts ready for the things that you want to speak into it, Lord God. And Father, if there be anything here, Holy Spirit, that is said that you want to work on specifically in a heart, God, I'm asking for each one of us, Lord, that we would just give you permission, not that you necessarily need it, Lord, but you're so gracious and merciful and such a gentleman, Lord, that you don't just come in and beat us up. But God, I'm giving you permission to beat me up if you need to. God, in love, I know you will. So Lord, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, Lord, to the things that you want to show us, the things you want to speak to us, God. Get us ready, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys, we're moving basically... In Matthew, you remember, I think we've been in the last week here for a month and a half, uh, I think. So we're, we're at basically Thursday night, which is their Friday morning. That was when the whole, um, you know, the last supper took place. It, it took place at the very beginning of Passover, of the celebration of Passover. And so here we've seen, and now what we're moving into right now and today is this literally what we would consider to be Friday morning, right? That the sun is coming up. Peter's just denied and the rooster crowed. When do roosters crow? Anybody that has a rooster knows when roosters crow. Go to the DR with us and you'll know roosters crow all night long, apparently. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. They have so many streetlights at roosters all night long. You're like, I'm gonna kill you. I do have PTSD. Oh, <laughs> you guys. So that's where we're at. The roosters crowed. We're in. We're coming into the early Friday morning, and in these past few weeks, we've looked at Jesus spending intimate time with the disciples. We've looked at um, the disciples sleeping when Jesus was praying. We looked at Jesus sweating drops of blood and asking God, saying, "Hey, if there's another way." You know, could you pass this cup from me? But then at the end, winning the battle right then and there, right? We've talked all about it, you guys. We're already, the battle's won. For Jesus, the battle's over. The battle was won in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was like, not my will, but yours be done. And then we looked last week, right, at the battle that the disciples were in, and, and we gave the slightly discouraging news that we're in the same battle they were in, and guess what? It's not over until you take your last breath or Jesus comes back. Yay! 
And we talked about the fact that, man, being in the battle is where it's at. And battle is what? We talked about it last week, gory and bloody and not clean. And not everything you do is going to be perfect in battle. And you're going to mess up and you're going to fail. And you might even get like a little, you know, you might get winged. You might get shot. You might get hurt. You might, there's things that happen in battle in this earth, aren't, aren't there? Your family that comes beside you and says you're an idiot because you're following after Jesus. Your coworkers that get you in trouble for mentioning Jesus. All the things in this earth that we're like, God, why? Well, here's why. Because you're in a battle. Because <laughs> there's a real enemy, Satan, who's out to get you. But guess what? God already won the battle. The war's over. So that's where we were at. We were looking at all these different things. We saw Peter telling Jesus, right? I'm your ride or die. Like, I'm with you till the end. Yeah, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. And then denying Jesus three times. I don't even know this guy. Like right after that. (laughs) Good job, Peter. We closed last week with Jesus' illegal trial at night, which we talked all about, right? That wasn't legal. It wasn't how you were supposed to do it. The high priest's house wasn't where it was supposed to be. And Jesus didn't say a word until he was put under oath. And then when he said, you know, what did he say? He basically was like, you, it is as you say. They asked him, are you the son of God? He's like, it's what, it's, it is as you say, right? And so here he is, and we're going to see that again. But then he follows up that with that warning. Do you guys remember that from last week? He follows it up with a warning. He says, it is as you say, and the next time you see me, this is my paraphrase, I ain't going to be shackled. And you're not going to like me if you don't change your ways. You're not going to be happy. Like you might think I'm shackled, but I'm not. I'm here by my own volition. But the next time you see me, I'm going to be at the, sitting at the right hand of power. What's the right hand? The powerful hand, <laughs> Right? Oh, you left-handers, I'm sorry. <laughs> Verse one. By the way, that is what the Greeks and the, uh, and the Romans and, and everybody thought. That's not my thought. I, I'm right-handed, so don't, don't be like, Pastor said if you're left-handed, you're somehow weak. No, that's not what I'm saying. Verse one in chapter 27, you ready? It says this, when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So we see that when morning came, they took Jesus away from the house where he was at to where the trials were actually supposed to take place. Basically, the Sanhedrin was like, all right, guys, let's break for a few hours. Go get a little breakfast, hang out, and we'll meet back at the temple complex and we'll we'll do the real trial now. And so they met again, and Matthew doesn't waste a lot of time here. He's like, when the morning came, they basically did what they were plotting to do anyway, and they did the public trial. They put them through the same paces. For you note takers, Luke 22, 66 through 71, give a little bit more of a, of a detailed account. Luke, you guys, if you're reading any of the gospels, any of the other three, right, Matthew, Mark, and John, a lot of times, if you want more detail, go to Luke. The guy was a doctor, right? Like, he, he's super detailed. And then if you want, like, the, like, really ethereal, like, man, Jesus is love, go to John. Great gospel. They're all great right? But, but they, you can use them together to kind of like give you, fill in more space and fill in more of the detail. So Luke 22, 66 through 71, you can go read it on your own uh, if you want more detail about that whole second trial and what a sham it was. And when you read it, you're going to read that basically they verbatim pretty much ask him the exact same question that they did before. It's almost like, all right, Jesus, you're going to play your part. We're going to play our part and we're going to do this again. 
so that everyone outside can see that it's real. So that we can like look like we're on the straight and narrow, even though we're doing this as crooked and twisted as we possibly can. The religious leaders, you guys, were hiding evil in the false pretense of being lawful in their actions. I'm going to say that again. They were hiding evil in the false pretense of being lawful in their actions. Can't we do that sometimes? I can. But when we're looking at it here, we see that after this second trial, they sent Jesus to Pilate. Why did they do that? Did you guys ever think about it? Are they like, we're done with you. We've kicked you. We've spit in your face. We've punched you. We've done enough. Let's just send you on to the next guy. No, they had to do this legally. Why? Because they were not authorized to put people to death. Rome said, you're not going to do that. That's our job. And we're good at it, right? And so who's this guy, Pilate? We're told through many different sources of the day that he was cruel, that he was ruthless, that he had no concern about any moral standing of any group, right? Because you got to remember, what was Rome? Rome was a huge conglomeration of a bunch of cultures, right? And so Rome did this thing where they're like, yeah, you can generally do what you want, but you will worship Caesar and you will do certain things. And by the way, the Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome, what does that mean? We will squash you like a bug if you think you're going to get out of line. It wasn't peace. It was literally like, we will domineer you, right? So they're like, yeah, sure. We like you, Rome, (laughs) right? So you guys, here's the deal. That's who this guy was according to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I got a quote from a guy named Philo. He's an ancient Jewish scholar. Think um, Josephus, but a little earlier, right? He says this, his corruption, his acts of insolence, his rapine, which I had to look up, violent seizure of property. (laughs) So next time, dude, if there's ever a case where there's like imminent domain, be like, your rapine is, ah! (gasps) His habit of insulting people, his cruelty, his continual murders and peop- of people untried and uncondemned, and his never-ending, gratuitous, and most grievous inhumanity. And that was a, the big, kind of a, just a thought on this guy, Pilate. That's encouraging, isn't it? So of course, you guys, think about this. The religious leaders are already doing this. That what, are the, what is their end? What do they want? Why did they even put the trial on to begin with? Because they wanted him dead. They've already wanted him dead. The trial was a sham. He, they wanted him dead. We looked at the fact that they had all these false witnesses and they couldn't even get enough false witnesses together until finally, after many other false witnesses, they finally were able to find two that kind of said something that was somewhat true, but not completely true, which is just like the enemy, just like Satan. Let's mix in a little truth. They were like, he said that if he tore down the temple, he's going to rebuild it in three days. That's not what he said. If he said, if you kill this body, right? If you tear down this temple, it will be rebuilt in three days. Speaking of his own death but they took it and twisted it just enough. And that's whenever they put Jesus under oath and he said what he said. So let's look at this kind of account with Pilate because this first one, so he went to Pilate twice. And this first one in Matthew is just like a, Matthew's not really wasting a lot of time here. He's, he's getting on to the, to the parts for Matthew that were the most important for what he was trying to get across, which was what? Jesus is king. That's why the little sign says, Jesus is king. That's the point of Matthew. Matthew is trying to show the kinghood of Jesus. And so he's, he just kind of passes over this little part, but let's flip over with me to Luke chapter 23. And when we go back, I would keep a finger there because we're going to go back there later on in the message, back to that same chapter. But here in Luke 23, it says this in verse one, 
Then the whole multitude of them. Oh, wait, I'll wait. Oh, listen. You guys, that is like the most beautiful music. I hope when we get to heaven that we still have Bibles. Is that weird? Jesus would be like, I'm right here, (laughs) y'all. I'm the Bible. But I'm like, man, I don't know. There's just something about turning a page. Luke chapter 23, verse 1 says this. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow, listen to this, perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, what? It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. So you guys, Pilate was rightfully annoyed. Flip back over with me to Matthew. Pilate was rightfully annoyed here. He was rightfully annoyed by the religious leaders. Why? Well, because they were lying through their teeth, first off. I mean, Pilate didn't know that, but, but it, did you ever come across a liar? You, you, like, you don't even, a lot of times, I, I feel like, especially as Christians, the Holy Spirit kind of gives you that inclination, that discernment of like, hmm, something's off here. And I feel like that's what Pilate had. Pilate didn't have the Holy Spirit, but he, he, he was smart enough. I mean, listen, to be in charge in Rome meant that you were probably, your life was on the line literally every day because there were always people that were lying to your face trying to get an angle on you to stab you in the back. Et tu, Brute? <laughs> right? So you guys, I don't think Pilate was a dumb man. So he knew, man, this is the thing. Look, they want to be killing him because he said he was the son of God. That's what, that's what they asked him in the trial, and that's what he admitted to. That's the only thing he admitted to. It is, as you say, I am the son of God. Did he ever say that he said, hey, man, don't pay Caesar taxes? No, as a matter of fact, he said what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. So they're lying, like flat out lying. And that's just one thing. It says here that those three things, he says he stirs things up, right? Like, here's the thing. This is what they were saying, if I were to put it in my own words. They were saying that he was a radical revolutionary. And I would say, yeah, he was of love. But he wasn't like everybody else. He wasn't like the guy we're going to read about later, Barabbas, who was like, I'm going to murder some people and like, wow, like a zealot, like a freak, right? Like get everybody fired up and go be a terrorist. That wasn't, that wasn't Jesus. They said he was a radical revolutionary. They said he told everybody not to pay taxes. We already talked about that. He claimed, supposedly, according to them, to be a king that opposed Caesar. Did he ever do that? No. How do you even get to the place where you're like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's if you're like, I'm also going to take Caesar out? No, it doesn't even make sense. That's not his heart. He was about much bigger things than what was happening here on the world stage. And I would actually go one step further, just based on what I heard, and this is not a dog out, but I'm just saying, we as Americans need to remember that it is not about our political system. It's about Jesus (laughs) forever and always. We need to keep that in mind, you guys. Man, let's not be so short-sighted as these guys were being like, oh, I'm going to bring them up on these charges. Well, listen, Jesus is needed by the worst and most crazy liberal and by the worst and most conservative Republican and everyone in between. So here's an interesting outcome. The reason I read that Philo thing to you about Pilate is, isn't it interesting knowing who Pilate was? The easier answer for Pilate would be like, just kill the guy. That's easy. We can be done with this whole thing. You can go back to your Passover and you can shut up and leave me alone. 
It's odd that he didn't. It's out of character for him that he didn't. Isn't it? And it's, it, I, I never saw that until this time. I've read this story how many times? And I never really thought about it this way, where I was just like, man, like, Pilate, the easier answer here is to just kill him. And yet he's standing up for him and being like, I don't see anything wrong here. I don't see a problem with this guy. So it's interesting that he just passed on it instead of just giving them what they wanted. And I think we're going to see in a little bit, I think, why he did that. But let's keep going. We're told it, back in Matthew 27, flip back if you haven't already, but just to kind of finish off the thought to, before we get to the next part of Matthew, because Matthew doesn't address it. We're told that whenever he heard that he was a Galilean and that he did most of his preaching in Galilee, and we've talked about that all this time, right? That he spent most of his life right around that little Lake, lake Gennesaret, right? The, the Sea of Galilee. And so there he was, and he, he did most of it there. And so he sent him to Herod. So in other words, Pilate's like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this guy. Send him to Herod. Herod's a Jew. He knows more about what the Jews are talking about. Whatever, like send him up there. And he went there. And when he got to Herod, Herod basically wanted to use Jesus as a jester. That's also something we can be guilty of. Right? Come on, man. It gets worse. I'm going to later compare us to Barabbas. Uh, Herod wanted Jesus to show him a miracle. He's like, hey, pull the rabbit out of the hat, right? Show me what you can do. And Jesus didn't play along. As a matter of fact, he didn't say anything. And so then Herod mocked him. His whole court mocked him and put on a fancy robe and sent him back to Pilate. And here's the sad part. And this kind of shows Pilate's true character. It says from that day on, Herod and Pilate were friends because before they weren't. So he's like, ha ha, good joke. Disturbing, right? Verse three. It says, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful. Yeah, you really care about the law here. It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they were the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought with them the potters and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Little side note, you guys, some people like to take those little, that prophecy from Jeremiah and kind of point out that like, it isn't in the book of Jeremiah. No, it's not. It's in Zechariah. Do you think that they were smart enough to know that Zechariah might've been quoting Jeremiah? I think they were. I think we've got to watch out for little things like this where they're like, where's that in Jeremiah? So no, it's not in Jeremiah, it's in Zechariah. It would be like me saying, Nate Bancroft told me this. And people were like, where's that in Nate's mouth? Well, it wasn't, it was in mine. I just told you what Nate said. But people actually want to argue these things. So little side note. So you guys, we've spent a last, the last couple of weeks dealing with Judas, haven't we? Spent a lot of time there, and I don't want to spend too much time today dealing with it, but I think we need to examine just a few things in this story. Do you notice a 
that Judas confessed shedding innocent blood. He said, man, I did this. And what was the reply of the chief priests? It was like, man, I don't care. Why, why are you bothering us with this? Like, leave us alone. Shut up, go deal with it yourself. And so what did he do? He committed suicide. And then let's go one step further in this. The religious leaders dealt with the money that they had paid to Judas in the most ironic way. It's irony. Where did the money come from? Those 30 pieces of silver come from to pay Judas to begin with? The treasury. They came out of the treasury with the sole intent of literally saying, I'm paying you so that you will betray your rabbi so that we can kill your rabbi. Like that was the whole point of the 30 pieces. So how rich is it that they're like, we can't put this back in the treasury. God forbid. Give me a break. If I were there, I'd be like, come on, at least own it. Put it back in the treasury where you pulled it from. Come on. It's garbage, you guys. I want us to talk about why they treated Judas the way they did. What was Judas saying? Here's what Judas was confessing to. He said, I'm a false witness. I'm a false witness. I, I betrayed innocent blood. I, this isn't true. He didn't do any of these. He didn't do anything wrong. I shouldn't have betrayed him. I shouldn't have done this. And I'm a false witness. What was the punishment for a false witness? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Death. How many false witnesses were not punished at the trial? Who knows? We're not told. A plethora. That means a lot. A plethora of witnesses that were not punished. Do you see how rich this is? Here's the deal. It would have been bad form to kill Judas at this point. Why? Well, because they would have been implicated in the whole plot. Who gave them the money? They did. Where did it come from? The treasury. Do you get what kind of little web has been spun here that they can't get themselves out of now? Isn't that exactly how things go? It's exactly how it goes. You look at porn. Someone calls you out and says, hey man, you're looking at porn. I, I feel like the Lord gave me an information, gave me some news, gave me, and then you're like, well, no, I, I wasn't. I, well, I, well, I kind of, I did. And then, and then you sew another little thread and then it gets another thread and then a thread and then you're all like this and you're like, ah, and finally you're, I looked at porn and you're free from all the threads, right? Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do I do that kind of stuff to myself? We all do. Right? Did you take the garbage out? Well, I was, um, yeah. Mm, uh. Instead of just being like, nope, I didn't take the garbage out. I'm talking about something innocuous and silly, but do you get how ridiculous we are? Because we do it with so many things, don't we? The chief priests, we don't care. You deal with your own conscience. Isn't that how people are? They use us. They use us, man. And we, we dive right in so often too, don't we? Sometimes when we kind of want a similar end, we want to see something, we might be like, well, I know they're not there and they're not really for me and they're not on my side, but I mean, they're, they're, we're all kind of aiming the same direction. We see this in the government system right now where we have groups coming together that never ever would come together before. Why? With the sole and express purpose of literally just trying to wreak havoc, right? We see Christian groups do the same sometimes on the flip side. That's how we bomb abortion clinics and stuff that we shouldn't be doing. You're never gonna hear me pick a side up here because I think we're humans and we're screwed up. All of us. And we pick screwed up things to do. And I think if we read this and actually follow it, we're gonna stop 
We're gonna be sanctified day by day by day and we're gonna eventually kind of grow into a spot where we're like, dang, I still do a lot of dumb things, but those two dumb things I don't do anymore. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's been my walk with the Lord. I don't know about y'all. I I still got, but you're like, yes, you still have plenty of dumb things (laughs) that you do. Yes, I do. So Judas, he threw these 30 pieces of silver down, you guys. And in the Greek, I need us to kind of get our head around this. In the Greek, and I, I studied this a little bit, and I was found it interesting. As I was studying, I kind of do little word studies here and there. And when it says it threw down, I, I don't know why it struck me. I was just like, what does that mean he threw it down? Did he just like go, ah, and throw the bag? Could have been. But the way it reads it is that he actually threw it like that, like he threw it away from himself. Where did he throw it? Well, a lot of scholars believe, and this is what I found, is that a lot of scholars believe that he threw it into the inner sanctuary where only the chief priest could go. Or not the chief priest, but where the priest could go, where the altar was. He threw it into the area where they had to go. And essentially, he was saying, like, you've got blood on your hands too. You gave this to me, I'm giving it back, and I'm giving it back in a way that only you can go get it. Here's the sad part. Could Judas have been forgiven? Yep. I think he could have. Was Judas sorrowful? Yep. Very sorrowful. Did Judas repent? No. No, he didn't. He went and took his life. And I need to clear something up, and I don't know why I feel the need to say this, maybe because my nephew committed suicide, maybe because I've known people that committed suicide, but I need us to hear something, you guys. There's one unforgivable sin mentioned in the entire Bible, and that unforgivable sin is literally not accepting the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Denying the Holy Spirit. Suicide is not an unforgivable sin. I will go to my grave believing that. If you disagree with me, that's fine. If I get to heaven and realize I'm wrong, I think I'll be okay with God's justice. Well, I know I will be. And so will you. But I don't see it scripturally. So the suicide is not what sent Judas to hell. It was the lack of repentance. It was the lack of saying, God, here I am. You see me. I'm a screwed up human being. Look at all the garbage I've just done. What have I done, God? Forgive me. No, he went to the chief priest and said, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Well, you can be sorry all day long. That's not the same as repentance. What is repentance? Turning and walking the other way. Not in your own power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to come to God to repent. Right? Here they are, these chief priests, continuing to walk in their hypocrisy, worried more about the optics of the situation and not worrying about the heart of the situation. And I think we can be this way too. So, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. This is the second meeting, right? And the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how, yeah, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him, not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. You guys, Jesus was taken back to Pilate after Herod. 
we see that these same questions are asked again. We see the religious leaders keeping it up, telling basically Pilate, like, listen to us. You know, why? Like, what, what's the deal? Like, this, these are the things that we're saying he's done. You deal with it, Pilate. You know, you're, he's not a friend of Caesar. He's against Caesar. You need to kill this guy. And Pilate says to him again, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say. And then they're sitting there and they keep hammering on him. And Pilate's like, do you not hear what they're saying? In other words, do you not hear all the stuff, all the garbage that they're talking about you? Like, you're not going to reply to that? And then let's take it one step further. I think Pilate was also saying, do you not realize who they're saying it to? I believe Pilate was asking Jesus because he was also saying, like, do you realize that I have the power to kill you? Like, I have the power to take you out. Do you not get it? You should give a defense for yourself here. It would be wise of you to give a defense for yourself here. That's what I think Pilate was getting at. I think he was shocked. And I think that's why when he didn't answer at all, here's Pilate, a guy that's used to people cowering to him. Here's Pilate, a guy that had all the power in the world for that little area and could literally just take people out. And we saw from Philo that he did take a lot of people out, a lot of times without a trial, without any conversation, nothing, just kill him, and he was killed. He's used to this. This is who he thinks he is. This is who he is for the all intents and purposes in this world at this moment in history. And the reality is he marveled because here's Jesus not saying a word. Spurgeon had this to say about the, the fact that Pilate was marveling. He says this, he had seen, Pilate had seen in captured Jews, the fierce courage of fanaticism, but there was no fanaticism in Christ. He had also seen in many prisoners, the meanness which will do or say anything to escape from death. But he saw nothing of that about our Lord. He saw in him unusual gentleness and humility combined with majestic dignity. He beheld submission blended with innocence. I don't know about y'all, but that gives me goosebumps because I'm like, man, I want that to be my life. It's not. (laughs) I'm quick to be like, "Uh, you know what so-and-so said about me? I'm going to hammer them down. Is it just me that that has all these emotions? Because I don't hear very many amens. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you guys, Pilate didn't know what to do with Jesus. So let's look at what he decided to do. Verse 15. It says, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas or Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, listen to this, while he was sitting there in the midst of this conversation, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to him, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all called to him saying, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. 
When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of that, this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You guys, Pilate was trying to use this custom that they had during Passover that Rome did to show just how much they loved the Jewish people, right? That was sarcastic. Like, we love you so much, we're going to release a prisoner to you. One guy we're not going to kill, right? (laughs) And Pilate's wife did this unthinkable thing. You guys remember in the book of Esther how Esther wasn't really supposed to go into the king's throne room? It wasn't quite that, right? Like, it wasn't like that in a way, but it kind of was. Like Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat. It is not the time for wife to be like, what do you want for dinner tonight? (laughs) I'm busy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that was kind of what was happening. And Pilate's wife wasn't dumb. She knew this. This wasn't, she did it because she felt it was that important. Do you understand? This wasn't her norm. She knew the man that Pilate was. So she sent one of her servants apparently and said, hey, I've been dreaming all night long about this guy. Leave him alone. Giving Pilate a warning. You guys, it wasn't her place. It's not the normal way of things. It wasn't any of that, but she felt like it was important enough to interrupt. And so what did Pilate do in response? Well, it's usually a good job, man, and I'm speaking to myself to listen to your wife, isn't it? But people... Instead, right, he he puts out this thing. He says, hey, man, here's the two people. And I think to him, he was like, I'm going to put up the scummiest, biggest loser I can think of in my jail cells right now to put up against this guy who didn't do anything wrong. He picked, like, the guy that was, like, the worst to put up against the guy that had done nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, we know, literally was perfect. (laughs) The only perfect man ever to walk the earth. And I would imagine that he's like, okay, we're going to get out of this just yet. Like, everything's going to be okay. They're going to realize, no, we do not want this guy Barabbas out on the loose again, right? But man, they cried for Barabbas anyway. Who was Barabbas? A radical revolutionary. What they're accusing Jesus of, except he actually was. He was a radical revolutionary. He was a terrorist, right? He wasn't part of the zealots, but if you guys know anything about the zealots, there was one zealot in the disciples group, remember, right? Simon the zealot. The zealots, man, they were like assassins. They were like terrorists, right? They went around and like, uh, 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 and then walked away before anybody knew it as the guy fell bleeding to death, right? Like that was how they were. I'm not kidding. That was them. That was their their role is that we're going to take Rome out one stabbing at a time, right? They took out people. They, They took, it was bad, right? That's this guy. He was a murderer, And not only that, you guys, he had already been found guilty. He was just waiting to get across to go on to Calvary to die, to Golgotha. He was waiting. He was already in jail. Can you imagine what he thought whenever they came to get him out of the jail cell to bring him out? I'm imagining that he was like, I hear a lot of screaming. I know a lot of people hate me. I'm a dead man. This is it. And he gets out there and he hears them crying his name. And I can imagine even then he's still probably thinking like, what is this about? This guy, man, he was a peach. That was sarcastic. 
You guys, what did Pilate do in response? The one man who had the power to release Jesus, really? Now, hear me out. Who had the power to do anything to Jesus? Nobody. Jesus already told Peter that, right? Look, I could have like 72,000 angels here at the drop of a hat in a second if I wanted it. I don't want it, so put away your sword, Peter. But the reality is, you guys, is that here he is and like a coward, Pilate cowers to the men around him, cowers to the people around him. And he washes his hands thinking that means something. I'm innocent of this. No, you're not. No, you're not. You were the only one that had the power to, to stop it. So I have a question for us, you guys, today. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? We've looked at a bunch of different characters today, right? And each of them had interactions with Jesus, and they were all different. All of them. The religious leaders, you guys, already wanted Jesus dead before they even put him on trial. Is that where you're at? I know people that are like that. They don't believe in this Jesus guy, but they're very vehemently against this guy they don't believe in. If he's a figment of your imagination, you're very angry at your own imagination then? Is that what's happening? No, you know that there's some legitimacy here and you don't want to deal with it, right? Because if you really don't think there's Jesus and that he's anything, then you shouldn't be so mad at him, right? I'm always kind of blessed whenever I hear people say I'm angry at God. I'm like, well, that's a good start because you believe there's a God, Let's start from there. That's a great starting point, right? I'm way more terrified when people are like, I'm God, or which is usually what atheists are saying, right? They're like, I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. You're it. Good for you. Now let's show you how imperfect you are and how perfect God is, right? There's always a way. There's always a way to, to get people past where they're at. But the reality is, if that's you here today, man, that's not a good place to be. What about Judas? Judas? I think we can all be like Judas sometimes. Mm -hmm. What was Judas's thing here? He realized he screwed up and he tried to fix it, but he never went to the one that actually could fix it. Mm. We can be that way sometimes, can't we? This morning I was talking to my wonderful wife about something as I go, it's kind of my, my thing. I get here early and I, I kind of make sure everything's kind of going and, and Maya does a great job of getting everything ready and listening to my crazy ramblings. Uh, like you guys do. Good job. But uh, whenever I'm like ready, whenever I know that I've got, like I've got the message studied and I'm ready, then I just walk. I just go on a walk, like a two mile walk. And I just pray and seek the Lord. And, and I was talking to Grace on the way there and I was just dealing with some stuff and praying through some stuff. And, and the interesting thing is that Grace said to me is that she's like, whose church is this? Because I was like, man, this isn't going the way I thought it would. And this isn't happening the way I thought it would. And this is all. And I'm like, man, and I'm like trying to fix it and make it work. And trying to plug every piece in where it's supposed to be. And I'm like, oh, God, you put me as, as the pastor over this. And then she said that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. And so I hang up and I started praying. I'm like, God, it is your church. And he's like, really? Act like it. Right? I, man, we can be like Judas. I've been like Judas already this morning. <laughs> trying to fix it trying to understand how in, how's human nature and what can I do and how can I finagle this just the right way to make it work? Man, we can all be this way, can't we? Let's not be like Judas. Let's go to the one that actually can fix it 
And that's what I got to do this morning. And man, when I walked back in the door, I was in a way better headspace than I was when I walked out because I was like, God, it is your church. You just put me here for a time and I could be dead on this road as I'm walking. It's literally what I prayed. I could just fall over and stop breathing. And guess what? This church would keep going. Somebody got to get up here and keep going. I'm not kidding. It ain't about me. It ain't about any of us. It's about God. And this is his church. And the fact is, is that we can actually go to the one that can fix it. Why do we not sometimes? What about Pilate, man? I think this is a majority of the people in the world. Didn't really see a problem with Jesus, but also feared, feared people way more than they feared God. Tried to let other people deal with Jesus, but didn't really want to stand up and deal with him himself. That describes the majority of the world, doesn't it? I'm okay with Jesus. Coexist. Everybody's okay. Listen, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes, n- no one, that's pretty exclusive, no one comes to the Father except through me. The Muslims say that if you're an infidel, you deserve to die. We're at odds, right? Like, like we are. There's no denying it. Now, can we love our Christian brother? Absolutely, because Jesus says to love, and we speak truth in love, and we love them enough to say, dude, I don't think you're right on this. I think you're wrong. And I think I know the one that is right. I was ministering to a guy that reminded me a lot of Pilate today. We uh, had somebody come in and do some maintenance here in the building and we were talking and, and he was like, well, that, you know, I'm glad that was good for so-and-so, whatever. And we were talking about something kind of uh, specific and, and he was like, I'm glad that was, I'm glad Jesus worked out for that person. I'm like, man, I think Jesus is the only way it works out. I'm like, I, I think that's it, man. I think that's literally it. And he's like, well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things. I'm like, yeah, but Jesus said this. Jesus said, I'm the only way. And I said, here's the deal, man. If I'm wrong and you're right, then I die and everything's done. Who wins? None of us. If I'm right and you're wrong, you got an eternity ahead of you. Where are you spending it? And I didn't say that in a, in a cutting way. I really meant it in love because I'm just like, dude, you've got to deal with this. You've got to. And Pilate didn't want to deal with it. And here's the thing that I want to hit. He thought that washing his hands meant that he was clean. How often do we hear in the world, I'm good. No, you're not. Not one is good. I tell Steve and I talk a lot. And Steve, I'll be like, how you doing today, brother? And he's like, I'm good. And I'm like, not one good. He's like, I know. And I say that to him sometimes. And he reminds me, there's not one good. Where none of us are good. Right? Man. Listen, here's the last one. You ready? Barabbas. This is a guy I relate the most to. I hope you guys relate the most to him. A loser. A loser set free even though he didn't deserve it. Man, you guys are like, Pastor, you are encouraging. We're all a bunch of losers. Yeah, we are. Compared to Christ, compared to God's perfection, we lose. We cannot stand up against it. We can't look and say, like, I think I'm just good enough. I might have a spot in a trailer out on the edge of heaven. It's not how it works. You're in because God's righteousness, not your own. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We know these things. And yet, whenever we say things in church, and so often in the American church, we've got, like, live your best life now. That's my best Joel Osteen. (laughs) Lord, forgive me. Be with that man. The fact is, you guys, is that Barabbas, this loser, this guy that literally was guilty of so much, set free even though he didn't deserve it. 
Why? Because Jesus literally grabbed up the cross that was meant for him. Listen, here's the deal. We don't know what Barabbas thought about that day. We don't know if he like got the, the, the weight of what just happened. But wouldn't it be cool to get to heaven and see Barabbas there? And be like, dude, I made it by the skin of my teeth. To which we would all reply, so did we. Right? So I want to encourage you guys, if you're here today and you're standing anywhere, but with Barabbas, you have a job to do. Repent. And I've already admitted to you that I was standing in the place of Judas this morning. Right? So let's not get hung up on the fact that Judas was a betrayer and all that. And let's not get hung up on the fact that, that, that Barabbas was a murderer. Because again, if we're going to like start cutting hairs and being like, well, I'm not a murderer and I'm not of this and I'm not of that. If you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you've had anger in your heart to the point of hatred, then you've committed murder. And I don't know about y'all, but I've been a murderer and I've been an adulterer. I know for sure I've been those two things and I've been a bunch more, right? And so the fact is, you guys, none of us, again, I never read the Bible and be like, wow, what a loser, and then just walk away from it. I'm always like, oh Lord, how am I like that sometimes? And God, thank you again for your grace. And so man, do the work, fix it. Fix it, go to God in prayer and repent. Finally, if you're here today and you recognized, recognize that you don't even understand any of this yet, because you haven't come to Jesus at all? Because maybe you're like the religious leaders and you're just like, man, I don't even like this guy. I think he's a bunch of garbage. Can I just encourage you something? Flip to the gospel of John and just start reading. That's a great place to start. Close your eyes and pray to this unknown God. Like Paul talked about, right? To the, on the Mars Hill, he's like, hey man, let me tell you about this, this, this statue that you have to this unknown God. I know him and you can too right? And so, man, that's what I, my encouragement to you. If that's you here today, if you're watching online, if you listen to this message later and, and you're like, I, I, I don't know, man, because if you're feeling that thing coming up in your heart, maybe it's pride in your heart that you're like, that God's saying like, man, I want to deal with you here, but your, your, your pride's getting in the way. Will you put down your pride for a minute? Will you put down your pride for a minute and recognize that you don't control your breath? You don't control much in your life. We make pretty garbage little G-gods of ourselves, don't we? Yeah. And, and the whole world's out there trying to slug through and be their own little gods, and they're failing miserably, and that's why drug use is so high, and that's why alcoholism is so high, and that's why uh, you know, sex addiction, anything to fill that little void that only God can fill, that we're trying to fill with every other thing. Man, you guys, if that's you here today... Stop trying to fill it. Ask God to forgive you. It's not hard. Romans 10, right? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? Say it out loud. Repent of your works. Say like, man, I, I get it. I'm a screwed up person. You're not saying anything that everybody else doesn't already know. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian realizes they're messed up, Right? You guys... I don't know. I just feel like the message today, it took me all week, man. I was, I was looking at it and I'm like, man, it's, it's a story and it's just progressing us to what's gonna happen in a couple weeks because next week we're not gonna talk in Matthew. We're gonna go a different way. So for all you people that are like Calvary Chapelites and you're like, we go through the Bible, you'll be like, ah! just prepare yourself now. 
It's okay. We can survive a topical message. (laughs) The reality is, though, two weeks from now, we're not doing communion today because in two weeks I want to do communion when Jesus is on the cross. And I want us to take that time. Just like we kind of messed up with communion. Listen, if you like liturgy, you're, you're going to have a hard time in our church sometimes, <laughs> right? Typically, we do communion on the second week of every month, and we haven't done it that way for the last two. And the reason is, is because I feel like this, where we're at in God's word kind of dictates when we do communion. Does that make sense? And the reality is, is as I studied all this, it wasn't until Friday night that I kind of came or Friday morning that I came to this realization of like, man, look at all these characters and look at how much we're like every one of them so often. Man. And so just be encouraged that our answer is always found in God. That Jesus actually paid it all. That it should kind of encourage you Yeah, the Jews were saying to Pilate, like, hey, man, like, let the blood, let his blood be on our heads and on the the heads of our children. We can say that as Christians and say, oh, God, thank you for that blood that's on my head. Thank you, Lord, that your blood was spilled out for me, that it's on my head, that it's on my kid's head. As they come to the Lord, there are no grandkids in heaven, right? And so it, it should be an encouragement to us. That no matter where you're at, there's not one of us that is sitting here right now. There's not one person that's going to listen to this ever later at any point that's going to ever be in a place where they're like, I'm too far gone. No, you are not. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.